Yep. Yeah. He's taking it in. <laughs> All right. Good morning. So, uh, is kind of interesting. Um, this week at work, somebody brought up the uh, the Impossible Whopper. You guys familiar with that? Yeah. So. Last summer, they rolled out a sandwich called the Impossible Whopper. It's a plant-based burger made with no meat. Uh, well, I, I think, uh, you, how can you call it a burger, right? A burger consists of a cooked patty of ground meat. So maybe they can't call it a burger, so they call it the Impossible Whopper. Um, they have created something that does not fit into our definitions, and dare I say, our sacred expectations of what we would expect, right? What is possible. And have you ever had someone do that to you? You have an expectation or a preconceived notion of how things work, and then someone comes along and fails to fit or refuses to stay in the box that you have for them. Uh, as we noted last week, Jesus is that kind of person for the Jewish religious leaders. On one hand, they can't deny the miraculous signs that he does. And, and those must come from God. But he insists that he is the son of God, and he refuses to follow along with their authority as religious leaders. So today we, we've jumped chapters 6, 7, and 8, and we're going to be looking at, at John chapter 9 today. And this is one of my favorite stories of Jesus' healing because it, it confounds the Pharisees thoroughly. Uh, one of my study books says that uh, the authors of the Gospels rarely reveal what happened to people after Jesus heals them, but in John chapter 9, it's, it's an exception in this account. Jesus restored a blind man's sight. And it, where the last couple of weeks have been conversations that Jesus is having with other people, in this one, John only interacts, or I'm sorry, Jesus only interacts with, with this blind man. But there's another conversation that happens because of his healing. And uh, Again, God is just weaving a whole bunch of things together with, with his determination and his, like, he, he's, not, he's not even waiting for an invitation. He's just making things happen. So let's jump in here. We're going to talk about today's episode, that time when Jesus healed a man born blind. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we desire to hear from you today. So God, I pray that nothing gets in the way, not even me, and that we would truly hear from you this morning. May your presence fill this place. Amen. So last week, we saw how in John chapter 5, when Jesus healed a man that had been sick and lame for 38 years, the Jewish leaders had a problem with that because he did it on the Sabbath. 
what is called the oral tradition had many rules about what you could and could not do on the sabbath and it's called the oral tradition because these rules are not part of scripture so in john chapter 6 7 and 8 jesus has had many occasions many uh, opportunities for additional public teaching moments and several encounters with the Jewish leaders. Here's what that has led to. They're plotting his death. They sent temple guards to arrest him. They picked up stones to throw at him, to stone him until he was dead. And each time he avoids harm. He spends some time in Galilee and returns to Jerusalem for another festival. And it's while he's in Jerusalem that we pick up today's scripture. So we'll be taking this bits at a time. John chapter 9, verses 1 and 2 say, As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples asked him. Why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? So this question reveals a legalistic outlook on life, right? There's only two options. Either this man was so full of sin before he was born, <laughs> or his parents sinned, and that's the only reason why he would be born blind. So legalism is an attempt to earn God's favor through our own righteous works. In other words, if I can earn God's favor for my good works, then the more good works I do, the more God becomes indebted to me. He must reward my good deeds with blessing. If something bad happens to me, it must be because I did something bad. The disciples look at this man born blind and conclude that he or his parents had sinned because if they had not done something wicked, then God would be forced to respond with blessing. That's textbook legalism. Let's, let's see what Jesus responds with. Verses 3 through 7. It's not because of his sin or his parents' sin, he answered. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. We must quickly carry out the tasks assigned us by the one who sent us. The night is coming, and then no one can work. But while I'm here in the world, I am the light of the world. And then he spit on the ground, made mud with the saliva, spread it, the mud over the blind man's eyes, and he told him, Go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam. Siloam means scent. So the man went and washed and came back seeing. Jesus completely rejects the notion of legalism. And he states that the man was born blind, not because of his infant or pre-birth sin, and also not because of his parents' sin. He says, this happened so the power of God could be seen in him. Think about that the next time you face circumstances beyond your control. 
Why me? Maybe so the power of God can be seen in you. Maybe he's determined to do something, and this is just the setup. So Jesus repeats his statement from John uh, chapter 8, where he says, I am the light of the world. And what does light do? It reveals things, right? He makes mud, smears it on the blind man's eyes, sends him to wash in the pool, and the man came back from the pool seeing. Now, this man was born blind. He has never seen anything. Uh, colors, sunlight, faces, nothing. And now he sees. So let's see what happens. Uh, John chapter 9, 8 and 9. His neighbors and others who knew him as a blind beggar asked each other, Isn't this the one who used to sit and beg? Some said he was, and others said, no, he just looks like him. But the beggar kept saying, yes, I am the one. And this is where the craziness starts. So for his whole life, he was blind. And in um, some of our, um, uh, some of the entertainment stuff that uh, my family has watched, there's like, there's a series of people named Neil who get identified Young Neil, Fat Neil. So we're going to call this guy Blind Neil. Isn't that Blind Neil? Some say yes, and others say no, it just looks like Blind Neil. And Neil keeps telling them, it's me. I'm Blind Neil the beggar. Uh, except now I can see. But Blind Neil has always been blind. So this guy that looks like Blind Neil keeps telling us that it's not him, but he's not blind, so it's not Blind Neil. He's an impossible whopper. All right, 10 and 14. They asked, who healed you? What happened? He told them, the man they called Jesus made mud and spread it over my eyes and told me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash yourself. So I went and washed and now I can see. Where is he now? They asked. I don't know, he replied. Then they took the man who had been blind to the Pharisees. Jesus needs to watch his calendar because it was on the Sabbath that Jesus had made the mud and healed him. Oh, no, not again. <laughs> the neighbors don't know what to do about this miracle because it on the Sabbath, and I don't know, is making mud working on the Sabbath? Is, is, but there's this legalistic understanding in this culture. Well, there's things you don't do. Why? Because the guys that are in authority say you don't do it. So they bring this man to the Pharisees. Now, what do you think the Pharisees have as their goal? Everyone and everything has got to fit into their legalistic boxes. They can't let this unprecedented miracle of restoring the sight of a man born blind distract them from their self-righteousness. And we'll see that the Pharisees put this man through three interrogations 
to try and force the answer to meet their legalistic view. So, here we go. Verses 15 through 17. Then the Pharisees asked the man to tell all about it. Asked the man all about it. So he told them. He put the mud over my eyes, and when I washed it away, I could see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man, Jesus, is not from God, for he's working on the Sabbath. There's our box. Others said, But how could an ordinary sinner do such miraculous signs? So there was a deep division of opinion among them. And then the Pharisees again questioned the man who had been blind and demanded, What is your opinion of this man who healed you? And the man replied, I think he must be a prophet. So the Pharisees have these two boxes, right? From God does miraculous signs. Uh, Ordinary sinner works on the Sabbath, not from God. Rather than coming to an agreement, there's this deep division of opinion among them. So they ask the man what he thinks, and he says, he must be a prophet. Or in other words, he must be from God if he can do something as miraculous as restoring sight. So this begins interrogation number two. Verses 18 and 19. The Jewish leaders still refused to believe the man had been blind and could now see, so they call in his parents. And they ask them, is this your son? Was he born blind? And if so, how can he now see? So instead of trying to determine the status of Jesus as a miracle worker, they decide to attack the validity of the miracle. Something's fishy. Something doesn't smell right here. So they convince themselves that Jesus is an ordinary sinner, which means he cannot be from God, which means he cannot have performed a miraculous sign, so this man must not really have had his sight restored. So they bring in the man's parents to interrogate them. Verse uh, 20 through 23. His parents replied, We know this is our son, and that he was born blind. But we don't know how he can see, or who healed him. Uh, Ask him. He's old enough to speak for himself. His parents said this, and this is, I love reading from John, because it's like this aside, right? His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had announced that anyone saying that Jesus was the Messiah would be expelled from the synagogue. That's why he said, he's old enough, ask him. And I just, can't you just see these two squirming before the Pharisees, right? She's got her handkerchief and she's just working it with her hands. He's got his hat and he's just uncomfortable. They can't deny the truth, right? They're not going to disown their son, but they're not willing to lose all the privileges and relationships associated with being part of the synagogue. Well, the Jewish leaders don't like the answer that they got from the man about how he had his sight restored, so they bring in his parents to find out, was he really born blind? And if so, how can he see now? And they're 
successful in getting a satisfactory answer, which leads to their third interrogation. So verses four, uh, 24 through 24. So for the second time, they called in the man who had been blind and told him, God should get the glory for this because we know this man, Jesus, is a sinner. I don't know whether he is a sinner, the man replied, but I know this. I was blind, and now I can see. But what did he do, they asked. How did he heal you? Look, the man exclaimed, I told you once. Didn't you listen? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? This man, seeing for the first day of his life, has had enough. What he knows is that he was born blind. Jesus put mud on his eyes and told him to wash, and now he sees. And my John commentary says this. The religious leaders are stuck. They can't dispute the miracle, nor can they acknowledge that Jesus is from God. Because if they do, that would mean his diagnosis of their spiritual hypocrisy is true. It would require them to humble themselves before him. Their last-ditch effort is to have this healed man denigrate the character of Christ. At least they might save some face. They tell him to give glory to God. In other words... With God as your witness, tell the truth, Jesus is a sinner. And he loses it. Right? Look, I told you once, didn't you listen? Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? So I'm going to do some interaction here. I want you to do your best, uh, most offended gasp. Okay? Do you, want him, do you want to be his disciples too? <gasps> Good job. Verses 20 and 29. Then they cursed him and said, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know God spoke to Moses, but we don't even know where this man comes from. And I've, I've seen before, I mean, there's a lot of, um, you know, sides to be on these days, aren't there? <laughs> sides of arguments. And uh, one thing I've, uh, I've seen is, when, when one side can't deal with the truth of the other side, they attack their character. You are his disciple. We don't even know where this man comes from. So the fact that Jesus was from Nazareth in Galilee was a big issue for the Jews. Uh, you probably saw it mentioned a couple of times in chapters 6 through 8. Uh, that the question to whether or not Jesus was the Messiah was based on what city he was from. Since Nazareth and Galilee are not mentioned in the Old Testament as origins of prophets. For some reason, Jesus doesn't mention that he was born in Bethlehem. He lets his miracles and his teachings testify on his behalf. So back to seeing Neil still fired up and ready to speak plainly to the Jewish leaders. So they say, we don't know where he comes from. And here we go, 30, 
verse 30 through 34. Why, that's very strange, he replied. He healed my eyes, and yet you don't know where he comes from? We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but he's ready to hear those who worship him and do his will. Ever since the world began, no one has been able to open the eyes of someone born blind. If this man were not from God, he couldn't have done it. And I just want to point out, when he says, we know that God doesn't listen to sinners, he's ready to hear those who worship him and do his will. That's a legalistic mindset. Um, the Lord can and does listen to whomever he chooses to. So I don't take that as a theological statement from that guy. All right, where are we? Okay, if this man were not from God, he couldn't have done it. You are born a total sinner, they answered. Are you trying to teach us? And they threw him out of the synagogue. The healed man speaks the truth. But it's the one truth that the Jews cannot allow. That Jesus is from God. Because that would mean that their whole system of authority and leadership is false. So they take offense at hearing the truth spoken to them by another. They accuse him of being born a total sinner and they excommunicate him from the religious and social center of their society. Verses 35 through 38. When Jesus heard what had happened, he found the man and asked, do you believe in the Son of Man? The man answered, who is he, sir? I want to believe in him. You have seen him, Jesus said, and he is speaking to you. Yes, Lord, I believe, the man said, and he worshiped Jesus. I love how Jesus tells the man that the Son of Man is someone he has seen. It's like he's drawing him back to the miracle that restored the man's sight uh, as a reminder that what he didn't have before, he now has because of Jesus. And the last couple of verses here, 39 through 41. Then Jesus told him, I entered this world to render judgment to give sight to the blind and to show those who think they can see, think they see that they are blind. Some Pharisees who were standing nearby heard him and asked, are you saying we're blind? If you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty, Jesus replied, but you remain guilty because you claim you can see. When Jesus is talking about death and life and blindness and sight and darkness and light, 
he's usually talking about things in a spiritual and physical level. Jesus comes into the world as the light of the world, bringing physical sight and spiritual sight to the physically blind and the spiritually blind. But when he answers the Pharisees, he makes a statement about their legalistic worldview. Because they claim to hold the keys to, the, to enter the kingdom of God, to their obedience to the law, and they refuse to acknowledge that Jesus is sent from God. They are blind, and they are guilty. There's times when um, at my job where I'm training people to uh, do what they have done for many years. There's times when they're kind of impatient and they, they won't listen and they won't take, <laughs> take my uh, counsel. And it's at that moment where I'm like, fine. Figure it out yourself. You want to do it the hard way? I'm trying to tell you the easy way. You want to argue with me? And that's probably not very patient, but um, there's a blindness to it. It's kind of like arrogance, right? And my thinking is, well, if you're going to be arrogantly, go right ahead. Say those things and, and do those things that are wrong and make extra work for yourself or patiently listen. Well, in the case of the Pharisees, it's a choice. They choose to be blind to the grace and truth of God's heart. That man was not created for the Sabbath, but that Sabbath and rest is created for man. Because of their choice, they miss the true Messiah. The prophet Isaiah wrote many prophecies about Jesus, and in Isaiah 42, there's this prophetic word, and it's God speaking to the Messiah. 42 verses 6 and 7. I, the Lord, have called you to demonstrate my righteousness. I will take you by the hand and guard you. And I will give you to my people, Israel, as a symbol of my covenant with them. And you will be a light to guide the nations. You will open the eyes of the blind. You will free the captives from prison, releasing those who sit in dark dungeons. There's times when I read the Gospels, and then I read these prophetic words, and I get all like electrified. <laughs> Isaiah was, you know, lived 400 years or more before Jesus showed up, but the Lord is 
telling the truth in this prophetic word. Anyway. Some of us think we can see, but we are blind. Like the Pharisees, we miss Jesus because we cannot perceive our own blindness. Charles Spurgeon, uh, known as the Prince of Preachers, wrote this. It's not our littleness that hinders Christ, but our bigness. It's not our weakness that hinders Christ. It is our strength. It is not our darkness that hinders Christ. It is our supposed light that holds back his hand. May we not keep Jesus from healing us and restoring us and growing us because of our pride or our self-righteousness or our commitment to legalism. John chapter 5, verse 24 says, I tell you the truth, those who listen to my message and believe in God, who sent me, have eternal life. They will never be condemned for their sins, but they have already passed from death to life. That is the good news. And a lot of power play built into that legalism. And I think there's a lot of that in our history, whether that's just in society or in church, in religion, in governmental leadership or whatever. But the good news is that, like, like Judy said this morning in this story, Jesus is determined. The disciples don't know what to make of this man born blind, and so they ask him for some help. And he says, the reason he was born blind is so that God's power could be in him. And he doesn't even wait. He just makes that mud and smears it on his eyes. Go to the pool called Siloam and wash. He's back seeing. And it wasn't necessarily those mud that healed him or washing in the pool that healed him. It was... God's heart, his determined heart to show his power. And why does God be drawing our attention back to him? Because he's the only one, he's the only one with the power to do the stuff that he wants to do for us because he loves us. Jesus is the light of the world. And he can open our eyes physically, he can open our eyes spiritually. And
wants to do that to set us free. Free from those dark dungeons. Blindness. And you, you may be sitting here thinking, why is my life the way that it is? Why are these circumstances in my life? Why do I have blindness? Why am I in this dark dungeon? Why am I a captive? Why am I not? Could explain it to us, we wouldn't get it. Because he's all wise and we aren't. We're mere finite minds. But when Jesus was confronted with that legalistic idea about this man was blind because he was sinful in his mother's womb, or (laughs) his parents were sinful. He says, no. This is so God's power can be shown in him, can be seen in him. And it's a a very upside-down idea. Weakness is used by God to show his power, but all right, if that's the case. Because I want him to get all the glory. Let's have the worship team come up. And we're going to want to do ministry time after our, our song. And... Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? And if he was determined to heal that blind man just because he was born blind and just because the time was right, he's determined this morning to do something in our lives this morning. He's good. And he's got the power, and he loves us. And all we need to do, all we can do is respond. So when, when it's ministry time, I'm going to invite you to respond. Whether that's coming up to the front row to be prayed for, or whether it's going to one of our sides to be prayed for. Let's see what God wants to do with us today. We have you stand. God, I pray that you would make sense of uh, this story for us this morning. Make sense of the um, timeless truth of you, that you are the light of the world and that you were sent by God to take away our blindness. So today, in 2020, We ask you to come. Come in your presence.